GM. I'm Dan Roberts. I'm Stacy Elliott. And this is GM from Decrypt. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. GM New Jersey, Stacey Elliott, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Awesome. And it's AVEX Avalanche Day. Although, make sure you say Ava Labs, you know, like many of these blockchains, you've got the blockchain itself, but then the executives work for the either the labs or the foundation because it's decentralized. But we've got basically, as I understand it, the brains behind the blockchain, and that is Emin Gunsirer today. Yes. Who has been in the game since before Satoshi. I mean, how many, how many people have we had on that can make that claim? Totally. It's funny. We always talk to people, especially in the last few years, they say, oh, I've been early in crypto. I'm early. I've been, I've been in crypto since 2019. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you know, I, I've been writing about it since 2011. And I think I'm early, but you know, early, early is like Adam back, you know, and the, the early coders and the people who were involved with, you know, the first block and yeah, Gun Gun's been doing proof of work stuff since pre-Bitcoin. Yeah. And for having been so early and so like, you know, very much at the <laughs> the foundation level of all of this, he is very comfortable talking about all the different partnerships they have with all of these, you know, kind of standing tech companies and, you know, looking at policy and stuff like that. So it's an interesting mix that we have in Gun here. It's funny, like I was looking at his LinkedIn and he's kind of not shy about his techie background, but I mean you know, it's like Princeton, uh, PhD in computer science, taught at Cornell, and then founder Ava Labs. So it's it's like all the bona fides, but of course, sometimes in crypto, and I'm going to ask him about this, you often have people who they don't want to see that. It's like they're more impressed if it's like, you know, I came from the school of Discord, DGENs, and DAOs, and it's not about pedigree. So, you know, and I've, and I've heard Avalanche sometimes mocked a little bit as like the suits, you know, it's like the VC chain, but we'll ask him about, you know, can you, can you really cater to both groups at once? Because Avalanche is kind of very Wall Streety. Yeah. We, we can't all be hardcore degens, not all of us. <laughs> well, and the dirty secret of a lot of crypto is like, it's not that decentralized. Yeah. There has to be a little decentralization. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring them on. Let's do it. morning welcome to be on very nice to be here thanks for coming on avalanche 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 uh let's talk about it but what is just like the quick hit elevator pitch for avalanche as a blockchain you know if someone said well how are you guys different than the other chains out there what's the differentiation in a nutshell avalanche is the most technologically advanced blockchain in the entire space it is the fastest as measured by the only metric that matters, which is time to finality, the time from when you submit a transaction to when it's, in, when it's permanently etched on the blockchain. It is super high capacity. 
And it's not a single chain. It's actually a multi-chain system. Internally, it's, it's comprised of multiple chains, each of which can be dedicated to a different use case, can operate with its own virtual machine, can operate with its own DAP that's specific to, to that chain that operates with its own gas token and so forth. So it is incredibly versatile in terms of what it can do. And it's in many ways the most pioneering chain out there. Uh, we introduced a lot of new technology into the space that just wasn't available uh, to the folks uh, practicing in it before we came along. Do you feel like each chain has its one thing that is starting to define it? I mean, of course, there's a lot of activity going on, all of different types. But in terms of reputation, and we talk a lot about you know narratives and how people see each project. You know, they might say, well, this one is NFTs. This one over here is really for, you know, real estate. And if there is just one, do you think maybe right now with Avalanche, is it gaming that seems to be like gaining the most prominence? Um, actually, I wouldn't say that. Um, for Avalanche, we're very strong in DeFi. We're very strong in gaming. We're strong in uh, enterprise use cases. Um, so if you ask me the uh, over-specialization that we see, uh, where, you know, you begin to hear that, oh, X chain is good for Y. Uh, when you begin to hear that, that's in my book, an incredibly strong negative indicator. It says that that chain is no longer able to keep up with the generalist game. I wouldn't characterize as Avalanche being strong in any single uh, area. Uh, as I mentioned, we were traditionally incredibly strong in DeFi. We still are. Uh, we're very strong in the number of games that have been launched on us, especially with their own subnets. And uh, we're getting a lot of traction in the gaming space. And um, also, we are very, very strong in the institutional enterprise game as well with our specialized DAP chains for institutional uses. So I wanted to ask, uh, just because I know you've said it, and I also read it in a Masari report recently, that you guys were pretty well insulated from the blow up at FTX. You know, it, it, there wasn't too much of exposure for you guys. Like, is that still the case? Absolutely. We got very, very lucky with the the entire uh, FTX saga. Um, Sam is uh, is uh, is an interesting fellow, and uh, he had his coins. And um, for a variety of reasons, uh, we were never a Sam coin, and uh, and therefore we we stayed out of that whole craziness. Our ecosystem, as a result, also ended up keeping its distance from from FTX and uh, and the SAM operations. So the people in the Avalanche ecosystem were mostly not affected. Yeah, I did want to say, I saw in the same report, so daily active addresses were flat for the last couple of months of 2022, but transaction volume was up. You know, so that's, that's some good with some bad. What do you think has to happen for, you know, to see more people being active on the network? Or is this just a symptom of, you know, we're in a bear market and people aren't as active as they usually are? We're seeing great growth now, um, and uh, one of the main drivers for growth uh, are the new subnets that are coming online. So Avalanche is not like the other chains. It's not, you know, I, I, just to orient people, uh, Bitcoin is a single asset, single chain kind of a system. And uh, Ethereum is multiple assets, uh, but single chain underneath. And uh, Avalanche from the get-go was always multiple chains in parallel. And uh, people come in and they create a chain for their own application-specific use, whether that's a game, whether that's a DeFi application that's very demanding, that wants to insulate itself from high gas fees, wants to insulate itself from congestion on the chain, or whether it's just an entirely new use case altogether, uh, like the things that we're doing with government. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are many different reasons why people might create their own separate chains. And uh, each and every one of them brings with it a new community. Uh, one of the odd things in the space is that it's always lagging. 
And uh, this particularly bites the most pioneering systems like Avalanche. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the Messari reports, when you look at uh, DeFi Llama, they are always calculating things using metrics developed from a different era. That era is fine, but it's kind of bygone. And so they're not really used to summing up all the activity across all of our subnets. The subnets might be too new for their tools. So the DAUs, the daily active users, the monthly actives, et cetera, that they report typically don't include all of our subnets. The, uh, the new applications coming online, you know, they span gaming, they span institutional use cases. Uh, there's, of course, NFT activity that seems like it's shielded from bear market. The NFT prices might be down, but there's a hardcore community dedicated to NFTs. Mm -hmm. So there is great, great uh, uh, sort of um, non, uh, uh, you know, non uh, intransigent, I think, uh, uh, demand for blockchains, even in a bear market. So I'm not too worried about what's happening in the bear market. This is a great time to build. It's great that you guys were not hit by the FTX bug or virus. Uh, but, you know, Avalanche has you know attracted a lot of VC money. I mean, how much good do you feel like the FTX meltdown really damaged the space like reputationally? Uh, I mean, we could talk about any subgroup, politicians, the general public, but VCs, it's probably a good place to start. I mean, do you think there are a lot of folks who had invested in the space and now they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh, I need to just get out of here? So yeah, the damage that Sam did is, is immeasurable. It's insane what he did. Just to orient people again, you know, I've been in the space since 2002. That's six years before Satoshi. I, I built a system called Karma, published in 2003. Um, that essentially was a, uh, a virtual currency for the internet minted through proof of work. You know, I've seen the space blossom from nothing into what it is today. We've seen a huge growth. We worked really hard. I remember uh, briefing politicians as a, as a professor at Cornell. I remember trying to educate. I, we ran the first Ethereum workshop. Um, I remember trying to educate people on how to build Solidity smart contracts. And all of that goodwill that we built over many, many, many years of hard work is just usurped by some guy who comes in and, you know, he puts on this boy genius act. He's got tussled hair and uh, he acts like he doesn't know how to tie his shoes. And then suddenly he's playing the world's stupidest game that, that anyone has ever seen. But somehow he's, he's spent so much on marketing that the world treats him as, as, a, as a genius that cannot be questioned. And then the next thing you know, we're, here we are. So there is now, um, I think, a, a shift of tide in the regulatory circles. That's going to be very bad for us. Uh, you did ask the question about VCs. Many VCs ended up taking the brunt of this hit. That's net bad for the space. I think retail, you know, was affected, obviously, at FTX. It could have been far worse. I'm kind of okay with what happened on the retail side. It could, like, if we had given Sam a couple more years of runway, it would have been far worse. You know, on the bright side, there are a bunch of things that I see that I find incredibly encouraging. So some nights, you know, I toss and turn in bed thinking, oh, God, you know, Sam really set us back. But if I kind of take stock, I do notice one very strong trend, which is every time I talk to someone, they know what a crypto asset is. I no longer have to fight that fight. I no longer have to educate people on what Bitcoin is, what Ethereum is, what Avalanche is. They understand crypto assets. They understand the different kinds of assets. Uh, many companies have custodial solutions in place. So many of the, the enabling road, you know, the enabling steps towards mass adoption, uh, we've actually overcome. 
I want to touch on a little bit of what you were alluding to there with, you know, how much what Sam did is going to harm conversations or any progress that the industry might have made with politicians. Um, we have seen big news about staking. We just saw this big crackdown over at Kraken. Um, and we also saw, I think it was yesterday, the SEC put out something about, you know, custodians and how they're going to treat that. So how do you see those conversations moving forward? And particularly the validator part I'm kind of interested in, um, you know, how is the staking conversation that's going on in terms of regulation going to affect Avalanche? Um, so that's a good question. And uh, it's, a, it's a rapidly evolving area and, and we're monitoring it. And I'm a techie at heart. I try not to opine on regulation. But I will, I will point out some of the things that I've seen that are problematic that the regulators are also pointing out. And I think uh, once you understand what's, what was happening, then you realize maybe that the regulators aren't necessarily doing anything that's supremely unreasonable. So, for example, anybody who offers guaranteed returns in this space is probably doing something really, really questionable. And uh, one of the one of the most common failures that I saw is you know as a, as a techie uh, is the confusion between nominal and actual returns. So if I'm in the business of operating a coin called Xcoin, and uh, you come to me and I promise to give you 10% Xcoin, that doesn't mean you're going to get 10% returns in dollar terms. You're getting 10 10% more Xs, but not dollars. Mm -hmm. And so often you see people confuse and conflate the two. And then that draw that tends to draw people in to uh, to investment schemes, and the regulators cracked down on it recently. So that's one of the one of the cases. And again, a lot of these are centralized operators engaging in in business practices that that are not transparent, that might mislead retail. And and I think I'm okay with that. Uh, so uh, the space gets really spooked by any regulatory action. Mm -hmm. So the 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 reaction to any any additional regulation is often very negative. And if you sit back and look at what exactly is happening, what are these people trying to do? The regulators are also hardworking people trying to protect retail from common malpractice. Uh, but I am a little worried about where the trend is going. You know, it's one thing to protect retail here and there and so on. But it's another thing entirely to to have, you know, by a thousand cuts, uh, created an environment that's so hostile that innovation has to move overseas. And that would worry me as somebody who educated thousands of students. I really worry that 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 technological leadership, which is the only thing we've got in this country, if we give that up, if we drive it overseas, that's not going to be good for us. Yeah. And there are a number of crypto projects that over the years have basically just said, all right, we'll just leave the U.S. You know, we'll mm -hmm. operate everywhere but the U.S. rather than have to navigate these choppy waters. Uh, I tend to agree with you, Gun, that in general, I think people in the industry, regulation has become such a boogeyman term that they just think it's all bad when in fact, in some cases, what the regulators are saying is pretty clear. People don't like what they're hearing, mm -hmm. but they're pretty, being pretty clear about, you know, you market it in a certain way. You say, you know, 20% yield, you're offering it as a security. You're saying expectation of profit from something that you have nothing to do with. Uh, Stacy and I recently spoke to Kristen Smith on the pod from the Blockchain Association, you know, lobbying for the industry in DC. And we talked about how certain companies have taken a kind of play nice approach in DC and others, maybe at the cost of getting a Wells notice in the last few weeks, uh, prioritized tough tweets and tough talk and saying, you know, they're doing it wrong. And 
talking about Gary on Twitter. Uh, where do you guys fall in terms of your own strategy and approach? Do you have designated people who are the DC um, go-betweens? Have you tried to get meetings with various lawmakers and make them understand how crypto works and why it's uh, not a negative that they should be so scared of? So we made a couple of strategic decisions early on, reflecting our core values. And uh, let me try to enunciate these. And, uh, and the, the contrast between these different approaches could not be bigger or clearer. There are people in crypto uh, who, who came to crypto from a, you know, essentially, you know, FDS establishment kind of an attitude. You know, just break down society as we know it, recreate a different world with Bitcoin at the center. Typically, these are the Bitcoin maxis. Have a different universe. Uh, Bitcoin's the only, only valuable asset and, uh, and that's the only way to go to move forward. I'm not one of them, so I never was. And, um, and I think that approach finds it very difficult to integrate itself into traditional finance. It's, it's been, you know, if you have just one asset, I guess maybe that's the thing you do is you push that asset as far as it will go uh, in terms of, of being digital gold or a store of value or something of that kind. Um, we always, from the get-go, approach this from a point of view of, Every valuable item out there will will at some point have a, a digital shadow on a blockchain. Blockchain. It will be traded on a blockchain. It will be moved on a blockchain. It will be represented on a blockchain. And we want to build the kind of system that can accommodate this. That's why we built a multi-chain system. That's why we built a system that is fast enough for many use cases, that has high enough capacity for lots of use cases in parallel, in aggregate. So we had a very different approach. And instead of screw the system, let's, re, re, you know, let's tear it down and reestablish it from scratch. Uh, we tried to build an architecture that allowed people to, to have their compliant chains built on top of us. We want to be able to integrate with traditional finance. We want to be able to create uh, you know, compliant offerings for people who have compliance needs. We live in a society, we reap the benefits of it, and we need to abide by its rules. So in line with all this, we chose very early on to be located in the U.S. We're a Delaware C-Corp. Alva Labs is a Delaware C-Corporation. Even as I talk to you, I'm located in Brooklyn, New York, and um, that's been our approach. Um, I went to D.C. I spoke to a fair number of a fair number of lawmakers, tried to educate them on what blockchains are and where they're going and, uh, and some misconceptions that they might have. I tried to clarify. Overall, I, I'm really proud of the work that we've done on that front. And, and I do see uh, some trends, and I saw some trends very, very clearly in, uh, in, in, in D.C. that say that the, even the lawmakers are now beginning to understand what this technology means for the world at large and, and, and for American competitiveness. So we're not one of the people who are tweeting at Gary Gensler saying all sorts of mean things to him. Uh, we understand that regulators are, are people, too. Uh, they're reactive, typically. And they try to do what's best for society from their vantage point. And uh, we try to make sure that their vantage point reflects reality. They typically trail back behind a few years. I think they, their understanding is really kind of stuck at the uh, sort of Ethereum as of three years ago point. And, and things have, have really moved on from there. A lot of the things that they're worried about, uh, you know, when it comes to compliance offerings and so forth, we now have the technology to address. Um, things that just recently happened, like the FTX failure, we now know how to fix them uh, using some of the, the new technology that we introduced, like uh, Enclave, 
which is a fully encrypted exchange that prohibits even the exchange operator from misbehavior. So there are technological tools at our disposal that not only fix crypto's ills, but are actually better than anything that Wall Street's got also. So there's a lot of cool stuff happening and, uh, and we are here to work with the regulators. We're gonna be in the US for some time. We'll be right back after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. By saying, Gun, you know, we're open to mainstream finance, you know, and banking, and we're we're here in the U.S. and we're trying to uh, be open to, to kind of institutions. Are you by nature kind of cutting out the true purist degen types? In other words, can a project really cater to both anymore when I think it's becoming very tribalist between the people who, like you said, they just want everything to be outside of government control, no regulation whatsoever, go away regulators. And then the companies that are sort of more buttoned up about it and are trying to um, cater to compliance rules. That's a great point. And I worry about this because you, you know my background, right? So I, I was here before Satoshi. I was very involved in Bitcoin. I was very involved in Ethereum. I was one of the people that called out the DAO hack before it happened. So um, so my background is closest, you know, my, my core core of who I am is very close to the, you know, what we would call the DGENs. But you are right that a single chain cannot cater to both at the same time, right? Like you can't really have one set of rules that pleases everybody. We know that the Europeans want a different set of rules from Americans who want something different from the Chinese, etc. And until Avalanche came along, it was actually very difficult to put all these things together. And the Bitcoin maxis are the way they are because of the technological limitations underneath. They have one chain. That chain doesn't know jurisdiction and therefore they're anti any jurisdiction. So uh, uh, Ethereum is in a, in a sense very similar. So it's just a single chain system. So, but the thing that's nice about Avalanche is it's multiple chains. The Avalanche C chain is very much in the OG crypto spirit. Uh, so that's a fully decentralized chain uh, and uh, anyone can join. And uh, there's no notion of, of, a, of a legal jurisdiction on that chain. You know, the institutions that are on the edges of that blockchain, they need to do compliance, but the, the nodes inside the system, you know, they, they operate as normal. In addition to the Avalanche C chain, you can have dedicated subnets for different use cases. Something that we're doing, for example, that was recently announced is an institutional subnet mm -hmm. um, in cooperation with Intain, where essentially uh, we will have a chain that's very similar. We already have a chain that's very similar to the C chain uh, where you can have smart contracts and so forth uh, with the added restriction that you know every participant has been KYC AML'd. Mm -hmm. And therefore there is no notion of, of fear that you did a trade with a North Korean entity. If you don't like it, don't use it. It doesn't hurt you in any way. You can always use the C chain. And so we are now able to, to bring together these two things that otherwise would have required a compromise of some kind. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're hearing from institutional players? I mean, obviously there's a demand for what you just described with Intain, but, you know, we saw towards the end of the year and very early this year, people who are managing portfolios, there's a lot of money being pulled out of the um, exchange traded funds that are meant to track or in otherwise mirror what's going on in crypto. You know, it it seems like at least a couple of weeks ago or up until a couple of weeks ago, they were pretty down on the industry. You know, what are you hearing now? So the sentiment changes. And um, let me let me sort of establish my cred, if you will, because pe- some people know me like you guys, but other people might not. So, you know, I've been one of the pioneers in this space. And one unique thing that I had, especially back when I was a professor at Cornell, was the fact that everyone would come to us academics and ask us about, you know, I'm about to enter the space. So what should I be wary of? What are the kinds of things that I should know about? So I knew about uh, the two two bull runs ago, I knew the bull run was coming because I heard all these hedge funds come to us and say, hey, we're going to start establishing a position in crypto. Mm-hmm. You know, what should I be wary of? And that told me that the 2019, 2020 bull run was, was in the making. And uh, so uh, following that in 2021, early 22, um, I noticed that uh, large retirement funds are now beginning to think about allocating a sliver of their holdings to crypto. So these are really these were really strong indicators. These days, I think you're right. Um, essentially, we're in a different environment where uh, where essentially fund managers are in a risk off mode, mm-hmm. and so when they go risk off. All kinds of risky assets, including crypto, which trades kind of like a uh, like a risky tech asset. So it trades kind of like the Teslas of the world. So um, uh, they tend to sell crypto off and uh, keep their their holdings in cash. They get a, a pretty sizable return, even if they hold it in treasuries. They get four percent, and so they tend to be off and and have money on the sidelines. And I think that trend is going to continue. They will sit on the sidelines. Maybe they'll participate in small relief rallies. But um, uh, but they will generally be risk averse uh, until they see indications that the Fed has changed its mode. So that macro situation affects all of us deeply in a way that I did not appreciate until I got into this industry. As a regular person, I thought the economy does whatever it does. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand just how much money can come in and how much money can come out of, of the system. Uh, just based on an announcement from the Fed. So when they become, when the Fed changes its stance, suddenly that money on the sidelines will look for investment opportunities. And and then if you look around, what are we going to spend our money on? We can't all go into AI. Um, and uh, the AI valuations are sky high. And uh, there will be some stuff there maybe, but uh, $30 billion valuations for, for things that barely hold a conversation. And, you know, if you want to buy into it, fine, that's great. But, mm. but you know, you can only do so much of that. So then, then you got to start looking around. And the world at large needs decentralized finance. It needs decentralized blockchain solutions. It na- needs a point of rendezvous for people who don't know each other to come together, digitize their assets, trade and send them and so forth. So this technology isn't going anywhere. And uh, that money will have to go somewhere. And uh, and so when the, when the macro condition changes, I think it's going to be a nice bull run. You don't think an AI bot could interview you, Gun, as well as we are? <laughs> Absolutely not, Dan. I think uh, the questions will be shallow and, and ridiculous and go in circles. And of course, the safety will kick in. And after I start ranting about something or another, the AI bot will cut me off. Oh, man. 
Um, I've talked to some DGENs who, when I mention institutional money coming into the space and isn't this a good development, they very quickly stop me and say, no, no, we don't need that. We can survive and thrive without them. It sounds like you would like to see that money come back into the space. Do you think the space is in danger if it doesn't come back? No, it's not in danger. I think the space is fine as it is. I think at the moment it's as risk off as it could be. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're doing perfectly fine overall. Um, and as I mentioned, for the, for, for the reasons we mentioned, right? People understand this new asset class. There's, there's awareness. There's, uh, uh, you know, there's a bunch of uh, people who now begin to, to, uh, to go into crypto and hold a portion of their, their net value in, uh, in crypto. So, no, the space is not in danger. Uh, but I find that the people who say this are, are typically engaged in hyperbole, right? So, um, you know, Bitcoin maxis will often act like they don't care about general acceptance. They don't care about rules and regulations. But then they are one of the first people to write, you know, complaint letters to their lawmakers and asking their regulators to come after every other coin, et cetera, et cetera. You mentioned the Intain news. Uh, we also covered recently the news with AWS and that AWS uh, users can launch an Avalanche node. How big is that for you guys in terms of sometimes in crypto, it it just takes naming like a non-crypto partner to really get big attention. I mean, you know, Polygon had a huge end to the year in 2022, even while everything else was falling all around us because Starbucks, Reddit, Instagram all said, we're going to use Polygon NFTs. I mean, that was a coup for them. And is there an irony in that? You know, like here we are talking about crypto kind of trying to disrupt certain incumbents, but then it's like, oh, but we got a great partnership with a big tech giant. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think, look, there are people that you want to disrupt and there are people that you want to play along with. I think you, you can't, nobody can tackle the entire world <laughs> and change, you know, and, and usurp it all. That's just not going to happen. Uh, the tech companies, the gateways, the, uh, the, the people who provide access to, uh, to, to a lot of eyeballs, uh, those are the ones you want to partner with. And the people who are collecting rent by virtue of, uh, of where they are, you want to disrupt. The announcement from AWS came on the heels of a, of a similar announcement from Alibaba mm-hmm. that uh, the crypto world did not appreciate as much. But both of them are essentially the same kind of thing, which is a company in the business of providing hosting services, um, looks at blockchain, and it's a very tech-savvy company. Both Alibaba and AWS are absolutely top-notch. So they evaluated all of the chains out there, and they realized that certain architectures are amenable to to absorbing the growth that that we are about to see in this space, uh, whereas others are dead ends. And uh, so they realized very quickly that Avalanche with its subnet is going to be a growing business for them because people will use it to launch their own application-specific chains. I wanted to to ask about partnerships, right? Because we're talking about, you know, AWS, you mentioned Alibaba. I know there was also one with Shopify. The tech industry is kind of like the neighbor or like overlaps with crypto and blockchain, obviously. But what other industries do you think, you know, where is there still green field? for there to be partnerships with blockchain. Okay, so here's how I think about this. Um, There are lots and lots of things one could do. Uh, Some of them are terminal. So you and I and Dan, we together, the three of us could do something that in and of itself is a project and then it stops. It's a thing that creates some value, but it's, it's what it is, it ends there. Or we could try to build something that is a platform for others 
to create additional value. And I think it's the latter that I find myself most most drawn to. So the NFTs of the world, they're great. I love NFTs. I have a crap ton of, of, uh, of cute pictures. But uh, they, tend to be, uh, they tend to be a dead end technologically, as far at least business-wise, uh, from my perspective. What I'm really excited about these days are, um, I've always been excited about DeFi. So there is a lot of innovation happening in DeFi that's going to continue. And so, so that's what it is. But a different direction that I am super excited about is insurance. So uh, that's, there is a lot of disruption to be had. That's an old industry uh, that hasn't uh, really seen the benefits of blockchains or tech applied to it in full yet. And they can skip all of the intermediate cycles and jump to the latest, greatest technology if connected with the right people and if built in building on a, on a, on a proper architecture. And, if, and by doing so, they build not a terminal application, but an open insurance field that allows anybody or whatever qualified people to participate in uh, in insurance. Uh, there are a lot of enterprise applications. The ones that are terminal don't excite me, but the ones that open up uh, large open playing fields, especially mm -hmm. to young entrepreneurs to come into a space, I'm really excited about. You're speaking my language because I just wrote a big feature on uh, DeFi insurance and all the traditional insurance companies are starting to look. So uh, you're certainly not the only one, I would say, who's excited about that. Uh, Stacy asking about partnerships is a good segue for me to mention and, and ask you, Gun, about kind of marketing in general and advertising, because it seems to me that Avalanche has done a very effective job of that. Marketing and branding is sort of interesting in the crypto space. Like, you know, every project has to have its like cute animal mascot and its token symbol and um, you know, I, I live in Connecticut, uh, an hour outside New York City, and it's very much a commuter town. And pre-pandemic, Metro North was packed every day with commuters into the city, and it was all finance people. And so maybe a year ago, I started seeing ads for Avalanche on Metro North. And I thought that was very striking to me. You know, I guess what I'd ask is sort of what that does for you guys. I mean, the DGENs don't, they're not going to see those ads, and they don't need those ads. But um, how do you guys think about, you know, spending marketing budget and, and why a, a blockchain needs to advertise? So, you know, once again, I'm a techie and I don't know the first thing about advertising or marketing. I, I was always deficient in this as even as a professor, my work, you know, uh, was strong on the technical side and, uh, and weak on the selling side. And uh, it's wonderful to hear you say that we did a good job on the marketing side because I don't actually feel that. Um, if you ask me, we're very deficient in marketing. I, I watch our competitors make a lot of noise about tiny little things that I would consider, you know, just a bullet point item. There are wholesale projects that exist that I think are just master's level projects. And yet, you know, people are building these things as if it's the you know, the ultimate solution to every, every problem in the blockchain space. Uh, you know, like in, 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 in our various different releases, uh, just like one sentence items correspond to other people's life's work. So uh, to us, it's just a Tuesday, we move on. So that's sort of a very frank discussion of where we are weak. Um, so if you, if you thought we're okay now, um, you wait until we unleash the marketing engine. Uh, but we did do a couple of things right. And uh, one of them was, was to target um, we targeted Metro North. We also targeted uh, a lot of the subway lines uh, in New York City. We, we plastered all of them just as, uh, as the finance industry was coming back from the pandemic. I think that was really useful. Uh, we also did a bunch of other things. You know, we, we have hacker houses. Uh, we have hackathons. We had an ice cream truck, you know, to, at, uh, outside uh, 
various different conferences, just and also just spaces where people can go and chill and sit and talk to other people. And of course, we have the Avalanche Summit, which I think was one of the at least one of the best uh, best conferences that I ever attended. So you know, obviously, we target uh, young uh, entrepreneurs, young techies, etc. We also target old asset managers. Uh, you know the you know it's uh, the people of, in my town. Yes, yeah, <laughs> boomer boomers boomers with uh, with a lot of money yeah. need to understand that there's a new game in town, and uh, and blockchain doesn't mean lack of compliance. What are your thoughts on AI and how that's going to interplay and affect blockchain technology? I mean, and I can I'll divulge that we as a staff talk about this all the time, almost daily. Somebody is chatting about like, look at this new AI thing. And we kind of got a glimpse from it before when you said if it were an AI doing this interview, it'd be asking really stupid, redundant questions and they'd be shallow. But please give us your thoughts on AI. I'm so curious to know. Okay, so at the intersection of so AI has made enormous advances recently, and so that's wonderful to see from a tech point of view. And and the future of AI is is just like the next decade is going to unleash a lot more power than what we've seen so far. The pictures are great, even though they have funny numbers of uh, of, of fingers sometimes, and and you know some details they get the AI gets very wrong. Uh, I'm sure those are going to get addressed. And um, look, AI is going to explode. That's clear. And um, at the intersection of AI and blockchain lies a whole lot of even more exciting things that one could do. Um, blockchains are essentially a means for programmatic uh, direction of value, programmatic management of value. Imagine what, what you could do with, uh, with an intelligent bot uh, that is able to, um, to digitize assets, send them, buy them, trade them uh, using a uniform interface. That is going to be an amazing new thing where I think asset pricing is going to be uh, determined not so much by people anymore, but also but, but by bots, by algorithms. I worry as a techie, I worry about a lot of things. These AI bots are only as good as their training data. Mm -hmm. And the training data, depending on how it was collected, reflects the biases of the society in which it was collected, in which it was generated. So I'm really worried about entrenching uh, certain things that uh, uh, that exist at a moment in time, but once it's it becomes part of an algorithm, it become become it begins to self perpetuate. As a simple example, just to bring it back to realities, that so that the people listening to us uh, don't think I'm making crap up. Um, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. So if you have two assets, you know, for the longest time, people thought Solana and, and Avalanche were competitors, and and they thought they, they, they these two things moved together. So the trading bots begin to learn that these things move together, and then they start to, to, uh, to reinforce that whenever Solana goes up, Avalanche goes up, and when Solana goes down, Avalanche goes down. And, uh, and so, you know, if you have the training data that you did up until the FTX crash, then that's, that's fine. You've got that training data and that, that, uh, that correlation is, is reinforced. And then FTX happens. And that should affect only Solana. It's a SAM coin. And we started this conversation talking about how it doesn't affect Avalanche. But because the bots have learned this, you have to now wait for a whole training cycle before the bots can unlearn the correlation between Solana and Avalanche. So this is very real. Um, this is the simplest form. I gave an example from trading in crypto. Uh, but there are many more, far more insidious cases. I think we've all seen the gender bias that mm -hmm. uh, that these bots can pick up. Uh, we have not seen as much 
but Europeans know this, the algorithms for pricing offer different prices depending on your ethnic background, mm. depending on your nationality. Uh, these are deeply disturbing things that we as a society must fight against if, you know, as AI takes over. Gun, you know, you are a pretty serious guy. I mean, we're talking about a PhD in computer science where you're geeking out about subnets. What are you thinking about when you're not thinking about crypto? Oh, great, great question. So um, what do I do when I'm not? Well, hey, that's, <laughs> it's a hard question. These days, my, t- my life is just 724. I get this question a lot recently. I, uh, I, I'm not that serious a person. I don't know if you, you know, if you got a glimpse of it. Um, I, I love to have fun with the work I do. Um, and, uh, and uh, well, I'll tell you a little bit. I, I, I think a lot about my family, of course, and the future um, of, uh, you know, the future that I'm leaving, leaving to them. And um, uh, that's a huge concern of mine. And, um, and so that's, that's been on my mind. Um, uh, you know, I, I do, I worry about the state of the planet, et cetera. This, this all makes me sound super serious. We just lived through the, the, you know, my last two weeks have been occupied by the earthquake that we had in Turkey, uh, and, and how to help people there. But in general, on a regular day, uh, you know, on a regular week, I should say on, on, the, on the one day that I have to myself, I typically do a little bit of sports and, um, uh, you know, to do a little bit of a uh, little bit of biking around uh, New York City or a little bit of travel around New York City. That's sort of my day these days. And I worry very much about about crypto and I spend a lot of my time on crypto. Thank you so much. I we covered a lot and I, I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. This was great. Thank you so much for having me. Great stuff. Gun. That's our show today. Thanks for listening. GM is a decrypt podcast co-hosted by Matthew Deemer. Me, Dan Roberts, Stacey Elliott, Stephen Graves, Andrew Hayward, and Kate Irwin, and produced by Zach Edelman. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you podcast. And as always, you can get more info on our website, including video with our interview guests. Head to decrypt.co. GM. GM.